we're going to turn once again to the book of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we are in a series called The Lost Parables of Jesus. In fact, we are finishing this series today. Uh, we have looked over the last couple of weeks at the parable of the lost sheep. Last week at the parable of the lost coin. Today we get to kind of the dramatic conclusion of these three back-to-back parables of the lost. Jesus gives us a very, very famous story here called the parable of the lost son, or commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, We'll talk about that in a minute. Before we get to it, I want to make sure we remember our context. Why is Jesus sharing these stories? So Luke 15 starts out in verse 1, it says this. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Everybody said amen. Amen. Praise God, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful statement. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. God's doing something beautiful. God's doing something awesome. God is extending grace to the people who need grace the most. And the religious don't like it. They start to mutter, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We talked a little bit last week about the significance of of Jesus eating with them because we eat with the people that we care about. We see that Jesus cares about those who are far from him. Jesus cares about those who are broken. Jesus cares about those who are unrighteous. So today in part three, we're going to get to the third parable Jesus tells in response to the muttering of the Pharisees. The third third parable he gives to teach them about the heart of God for the lost and the tax collectors. This is called the parable of the lost son. The parable of the lost son. We're going to read through it verse by verse this morning, uh, and it's much longer than the previous two. We're pretty familiar with the parable of the lost sheep. In fact, it's kind of even referenced uh, there in, in the song we sang at the end, So Will I. The last line says, you're the one who never leaves the one behind. Right? He's the one who leaves to go after the one, to chase after the one. And that's the God that we serve. That's the Savior who came for us Uh, Then we did the lost coin, which isn't quite as well known. It's much shorter. It's just three verses long. We saw uh, that God celebrates and God's generous in pursuit of the lost. Today, we're going to see the the magnus opus of of Jesus' tales of the lost. Uh, This one is much more rich, much more in-depth, much more commonly taught, but I think there's still some things here that perhaps we can learn this morning. It says this in verse 11, it said, Jesus continued. So this is the same conversation coming back to back to back. He gives this third story. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So this younger son makes a scandalous request. Dad, I want my inheritance early. Essentially, he's telling Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I I have no use for you. I have no use for this family. I have no use for serving you, for being in your house anymore. I want my share of your stuff. Dad is very wealthy. And the father shockingly honors this request. It's kind of of mind-boggling to think of a father honoring this request. But this father in this story honors the request of this younger son. So it says he divided his property between them. So the way in Jewish culture that an inheritance went is the oldest son got what was called the double portion. So no matter how many sons there were, you would divide the estate equally. So there were seven sons. You would divide it into seven portions, except you would actually divide it into eight. 
And the oldest son would get two portions. The rest of the sons would all get one portion. It was the double honor of the oldest son. So this youngest son gets one-third of dad's wealth. One-third of his property uh, he receives it. The dad gives it to him even though he's not dead. There's no indication in the story that he's close to being dead. He's not on his deathbed. Uh, but he honors the son's request, and he gives him a third of his estate. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and his living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Here is where we get the common title for this parable. If you've heard this called the prodigal son, you're probably familiar with that, but you may not really know what prodigal means. I didn't know for years what prodigal means. From dictionary.com, here's the definition. Prodigal is wastefully or recklessly extravagant. Wastefully or recklessly extravagant. So this kid goes out, he takes everything that dad had, and he blows it. Man, he uses it for extravagant living, for wasteful living. He parties it up. We don't know exactly what is implied here, but he goes to this distant land, to this far-off land, which means he goes to a pagan land, a land where they're not worshiping the God of his father. Uh, and he blows all of his money there. He is a prodigal. He's wasteful. Verse 15 it says, So he went, now that he's in need, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, again, there's some things embedded here in Jewish culture. Not only is feeding pigs kind of a, a gross job, not only are pigs famous for, for being muddy, for being dirty, for eating anything, but to a Jew, pigs were unclean. You didn't have pigs. You didn't care for pigs. Pigs were not something you were supposed to be around. And so he's lowered himself. He's debased himself. He's humiliated himself to take a job feeding pigs. Not only has he lowered himself to take a job feeding them, look at verse 16. It says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods. Go back, go back to the previous verse for us. With the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He, he looks at this nasty stuff. Man, pigs are fed the, the worst of the worst. They are fed the leftovers, the last of anything. And he looks at this, and he's longing for it. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this. This is, this is me on the Daniel fast, okay? Uh, where you look at things that in a normal day you have no desire for, but you get hungry enough, uh, all of a sudden those, your kid's goldfish look desirable, right? We won't get into that story today, but some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay, uh, so he lowers himself and he longs for the pods that the pigs were eating. Go to the next one, verse 17. When he came to his senses, aren't you glad you came to your senses? Praise God for a Holy Spirit who brings us to our senses where we were running from God. We were far from God. We were debasing ourselves and humiliating ourselves and suffering apart from his blessing, apart from his goodness, apart from relationship with him. And this kid, he finally comes to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I hope you see the importance of that phrase in here. Returning to God one key to that is always recognizing and owning our sin. 
This young man repents in his head. It hasn't actually happened yet. He's preparing his repentance. I've sinned against you. He says, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God. And dad, I've sinned against you. Part of coming to Jesus, part of restoring ourselves is recognizing and owning our sin against God and our sin against others. And so this man recognizes and repents in his head. It hasn't got there yet, but he's preparing his repentance. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I don't know about you. There's a lot of days I don't feel worthy to be called the son of the God who I serve. There's a whole lot of days where I feel like maybe I could be a hired servant, but I don't actually deserve to be your son. Here's the beautiful thing. This kid's right. He's not worthy. He has invalidated his worth. He has told dad, I don't even want you here. He's given his father the finger, cashed in his inheritance, and then gone out and squandered it. This kid is right. He's not worthy to be called the son of his father anymore. He said, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But, everybody say but. A big, beautiful but in scripture. Don't you love it? But, while he was still a long way His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Here's what Jesus doesn't share in the story, but I think we can very legitimately infer. The father was already filled with compassion for the son. The compassion was already there. Seeing the son visually just brings those emotions to the surface. But he already had compassion for his son. He already knew his son was broken. He already knew his son was making awful choices. It's the heart of a parent of a kid who runs away. I saw this growing up. I had two older siblings who ran away multiple times. And and the heartbreak that my mother and father went through as their kids ran from them. And the compassion my parents had as they were able to restore them when they would come home. Now, I never did that. I planned it many times, but I never executed it. I was too much of a coward. Uh, But in my head, I ran away many times. Uh, And had I actually done it, I know my parents would have responded the same way. Filled with compassion when I returned. So he gets up, he runs, he goes to his father. His father sees him filled with compassion. He ran to his sons. He throws his arms around him and kissed him. I hope you see the picture here of the moment you recognized your sin and repented and turned from it. That's what repentance means. It means literally to turn from your sin. I'm going one direction, I'm turning the other way. This young man literally goes away from his father And finally realizes, he comes to his senses, and he turns back to his father. And he's repenting. He's coming back home. And in that moment of repentance, how does the father respond to you? He doesn't lash out at you and tell you all the ways that you blew it. He doesn't tell you all the ways where you've disqualified yourself, all the reasons why he can't trust you anymore. How does he respond? The father throws his arms around you and kisses you. And that may feel a little weird, but that was a little more normal in that culture. Uh, That's what he does. He he loves you. He gets close to you. He pours his affection on you because he cares for you. There are, of course, in this story, three main characters. First of all, we have the wasteful, lost son, the prodigal son. Secondly, the second main character in this story is, is the older brother. This older brother is the bitter, jealous, older son. 
Uh, and lastly, we have the undignified, gracious father. You can go ahead and put the last one up. There you go. There, excuse me. The, the undignified, benevolent father. So the father is, is very generous, uh, very good, very extravagant in his generosity. We know all three of these characters. We're going to read the rest of the story, and then we're going to come back and see what we can learn from each of these three characters very, very quickly. The younger son in verse 21 says this to his father. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Notice he didn't just have repentance in his head, but now he brings repentance out of his mouth. It's the confession of his mouth. He doesn't just think, hey, I need to repent. He actually opens his mouth and tells his father, I've sinned against you. There is power in the tongue. God created the world with his mouth. He spoke the world into existence. We just sang this song and saw this powerful video, this demonstration of what God has created. I love God's creation. I love the mind of our Father that could speak into nothing and create everything. And he's given us power in our tongue. Now, we don't have the same power. I can't go out there and speak monkey, and there's a monkey, right? That's not the way that it works. But, but he is designed there to be power in the things that we say. And so this young man confesses, he repents out of his mouth, and that repentance is powerful. We need to repent when we've turned from God, when we've broken fellowship with God, when we've violated our relationship with God and dishonored our Father. We need to repent to make it right. And then he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. True statement. However, verse 22, but... Another big, beautiful, amazing, but, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Aren't you glad we have a God who likes to celebrate? Aren't you glad we have a God who likes a good cookout? Bring the fattened calf. Let's have some steak. Let's make some burgers. Let's do something special. Let's bring the best calf we got, and let's celebrate. Let's, he said, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. Do you realize you were dead in your sin? Dead? in your transgressions, dead in your rebellion against God, but because of a gracious Father who welcomes you home, because of your own repentance and recognition of your sin that you would turn to him, you now are alive again. He says he was lost, continue with the theme of Luke chapter 15, and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. So we see here the two themes that connect all three of these parables together. One is there's something lost, and two is when that lost thing is found, there's a celebration. This is the heart of the God that we serve, man. He celebrates when the lost get found. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. You can sense like the, the change in the background music here, right? There's the celebration and then, oh, it just gets a little dark. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Have you ever resented God for the way that you served him? Have you ever resented God for the sacrifices you've made for him and you think he hasn't recognized your sacrifice enough? You think he hasn't done enough for you? You haven't gotten enough blessing? You haven't gotten enough glory? You haven't gotten enough recognition? I think if we're honest, a lot of us can probably identify with some moments like this. He says, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. A young goat is nothing compared to a fattened calf. He said, I didn't even get the worst to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice that he distances himself. It's not when my brother, when this son of yours, like this is the thing the parent does, right? When the kid rebels, like your daughter, uh, look what your son has done. Uh, The brother does the same thing. When this son of yours, what's he doing? He's blaming the father. This is your fault. This is your kid. This is your progeny. He is doing this because of you. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. When the lost come back, we have to celebrate. This is not a choice. This is not an option. This is not, hey, you can do it. Hey, you can't. Hey, when you get around to it, the Father says, when the lost becomes a restoration, we have to celebrate. And we have to be glad because you can celebrate on the outside without being glad on the inside. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, look, the Father reverses it on him. I love it. I love how God responds to us. This is the way you speak, so I'm going to speak to you the same way. This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he is found. He repeats this this phrase that he had told the servants, and he now tells it to the son. Three quick takeaways from the lost son. I know that we're almost out of time, but I need you to see this. Number one takeaway is I must remember that I was the lost one. We can never forget what it was like to be lost. Maybe you're like me and you got saved really early in life and and it's hard for you to really remember lostness. But I promise you can identify with with distance from God. The amazing thing about this story is in this case, this isn't even a story, I don't think, of salvation. Because the son never loses his sonship. This is a story of somebody who backslid. This is a story of a Christian who's already in the house. He's already called the son who runs from God. And a lot of us can identify with that. I know that I can. I must remember that I was the lost son. I was the son who ran away from my father. we got to remember that. It's going to make a big impact if we can remember that we were that person. Secondly, I must be careful not to become the older brother. You see, the tendency is the more that we're with God, the more that we serve God, the longer we're with him, the more that we despise those who don't. The more that we distance ourselves from those who don't. It's not our brothers and sisters out there. It's your kids. They're not mine. I'm not connected to them. I I can't identify with anything that they're going through. We distance ourselves from those who are lost. I can identify a whole lot stronger as the older brother than the younger brother for a couple reasons. One, I got saved really early in life. Two, I am an older brother to a younger brother who is very rebellious 
and very far from God. But the reason why I identify with the other brother so well is multiple times when I was a teenager, as I was pursuing ministry, had received my call to ministry, and lining up to go to Bible college and to take those steps, there were, there were prophecies that came in over my little brother, who was very already rebellious and very far from God. And the prophecies would always go something like this, that God's going to get a hold of Nick, and when he does, his ministry is going to be even greater than Troy's is. And if I'm being really honest, I didn't love that. If I'm being real transparent, I didn't receive that statement joyfully and with celebration. Do I want my brother to come back to Jesus? Yes. Do I want my brother to serve Jesus? Yes. Do I want him to get a ministry? Yes. Do I want his ministry to surpass mine? I'm good. (laughs) I'm not proud of that. I know that doesn't reflect well on my heart. But I promise you that's how I received that. It didn't hurt so much coming out of the mouths of these various people who the Holy Spirit was speaking through as it did coming out of the mouth of my parents. Hearing my parents share this joyfully with glee. That man, so-and-so said Nick's ministry is going to be even greater than Troy's. I felt diminished. I felt a whole lot. Like the older brother in this story, I'm doing the right thing. I'm pursuing your call on my life. I'm sacrificing and missing out on all this fun that Nick's out enjoying right now. And somehow he's going to be even greater than I am. I didn't love it. I don't think I've ever shared this with the church before. I'm getting old. I forget some of the things I have. Maybe I shared it. <laughs> Threw my back out this morning. Getting old. Um, This story is told most prominently as a warning for us not to be the older brother. I hope and I pray that my brother comes to Jesus. And I hope and I pray that God uses him in massive ways. Man, that many come back to Christ because of Nick's testimony, because of Nick's ministry, because of what God has done in my brother's life. It's not a competition. And I don't get really competitive in ministry with other pastors or other churches, but, man, I'm competitive with my siblings. (laughs) Right? Maybe that was a little too honest and too transparent, but I can identify really strongly with the older brother today. I wonder who else in the room can identify with the older brother. Man, when the lost come back to Jesus, even the lost who have hurt us, even the lost who have betrayed us, even the lost who have dishonored our Father, even the lost who have disgraced the church, when they come back home, we need to receive that joyfully and with celebration and gladness. Jesus is warning the Pharisees about their hard hearts. And I hate to identify with the Pharisees. But in this case, And this parable, that's where I land. I hope and I pray that I can separate from that. And I know I'm moving away from it. But there are pieces of me that still get brought back to that, especially with that specific illustration and my brother. Hope you're not watching the live stream today. Uh, (laughs) Third takeaway from this parable of the lost son. I must develop the heart of the father. 
the warning is not to be like the other older brother. The, the lesson is not to go out and be the lost son, right? The lesson is not to go squander what God's done for us and, and re rebel and then come back. That's not the takeaway. The takeaway is who do we want to be like in this story? We want to be like dad. We want to have the heart that dad has, the heart of generosity, the heart of undignified pursuit of restoration for the lost. Why do I say undignified? Well, because the father does a couple things in this story that are undignified. We already referenced like the kissing the adult son, right? Like that, that might be a little awkward for some, but, but a much more undignified thing he did in that culture is he ran. And the reason why I was so undignified to run is the way that they dressed. Uh, in that culture, they wore tunics, they wore robes. And you can't really run in a tunic. And so in order to do it, you have to do one of two things. You either have to take the outer garment off, as we see Jesus do, and, or as we see Peter do, uh, as, as he dives into the water to swim to Jesus, right, in John chapter 22. Um, or what more likely happened in this story is you actually have to roll up the tunic. Uh, and I was actually going to get down and roll up my jeans before I threw my back out today. So you're just going to have to imagine it. Uh, so <laughs> the, the father rolls up his tunic. And he shows his bare legs. And in that culture, an adult man didn't show his legs. That was, that was taboo. That was looked down upon. You did not do it. And so the father, in his joy at restoration, humiliates himself. And I don't know about you, but sometimes pursuing the lost requires us to do some things that hurt our pride. Sometimes pursuing the lost requires us to make some sacrifices in the way other people look at us and the way other people think of us. And what is the Father teaching us in this story? What is Jesus teaching us in this story? That my dignity is less critical than the restoration of the lost. They're talking to that person at work that might affect their, your reputation, that's a worthwhile sacrifice for somebody's eternity. And when we put it on those scales, of course we know that. Of course we understand that. But there's an enemy who knows we've got an ego and wants to fuel that ego and is constantly whispering to us, you don't need to do that today. Man, wait, wait, till, wait till they ask you. Wait till that door opens. Wait till they come back to you. There's always a voice telling us to wait to share Jesus, to wait to evangelize. Because, man, there will be a better time. There will be a better moment. And don't get me wrong. There are times where the Holy Spirit may be that voice, and he says, hold off. I've got another opportunity coming for you. But you better be prayed up to where you hear that voice. Because the default mode in Scripture is to speak, not to be silent. When it comes to telling people about Jesus. If we're going to err on one side, if we're going to err about sharing too much or sharing too little, I want to be on the side where I've shared too much. I want to be on the side where, where I've not missed an opportunity. And the enemy's going to do everything he can to keep you silent as often as he can, in as many ways as he can. And he uses your own pride, your own dignity to do it. And so our big takeaway from this, yes, is stay away from being the older brother. And when you see that older brother tend to seek, rise up, repent, ask God to forgive you. You see the similarity? There, there actually is one big similarity between the older son and the youngest son, and it's easy to miss in the story. But both the older son and the youngest son are using their father. Both the older son and the younger son want what the father has, and they don't want relationship with the father. You see, the younger son just cashes it in and leaves. The older son sticks around, but we can see very clearly he doesn't stick around because he loves the father and wants to be with the father. He sticks around because he wants to earn what the dad has to receive it. 
And so the place that we need to be is the place of intimacy with the Father. Closeness to the Father where we're receiving that affection from him. Where we're allowing him to love on us and, and speak to us. And the more we get close to him, the more we receive his heart. If the takeaway is to develop the heart of the Father, the answer is not a to-do list to go try to be more like Dad. The answer is to get closer to Dad. Because the closer we get to Dad, the more we become like him. The more his character, his nature, his DNA naturally begins to flesh out in us. We call this the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit grows not because we decide I need to be more patient or I need to have more self-control. The fruit grows because we're allowing the Holy Spirit to move in us. We're close to him, and he's naturally bearing fruit. He's naturally growing gentleness and peace and joy and love and kindness and goodness. And all of these things are happening in us because we're close. So we got to develop the heart of the Father. We've seen the last three weeks this incredible heart that God has for the lost. I hope your heart for the lost has, has grown, or maybe not grown, but I hope that you've recentered on that heart for the lost. Because God is passionate about the he rescues the lost. He chases the lost. He pursues the lost. He welcomes the lost. He eats with the lost. Because he cares about each and every one. And we have the opportunity to develop that heart just like him. And we're called to it. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me today? Father God, we thank you.